the Commercial Property Investor Podcast, and I'm your host, Jerry Alexander. Thank you for joining us. Our aim of producing this show is to give you some shared experiences of investing and developing commercial property. Sometimes those are solo shows, where it's just you and me, and sometimes they're interviews. But this week, we have our first Q&A session. You see, a few weeks ago, some of the members of our current commercial property investing mastermind program asked if we could put on an extra session about SAS, which is a form of pension scheme found in the UK. SAS actually stands for Small Self-Administered Scheme, which is normally set up by private and family-run businesses. There are so many fantastic advantages to holding a SAS, and you can invest directly into commercial property, which of course excites me. But as with all these things, there are plenty of guidelines to interpret on how to successfully run a pension, a SAS pension. And as you'll hear, it's not quite as simple as it first seems. But that's why we've had such a lively virtual discussion. You see, Paul Barry agreed to join us for the session to field the questions and to give us some of his experiences. And Paul actually appeared back in the early days of the Commercial Property Investor podcast show and provided a great interview on episode 9. So if you haven't heard that one, then go back and check it out. It's also worth pointing out, this episode is not just for individuals who have a pot of pension money. It's also for those of you who are just starting out. Firstly, it can give you something to work towards. And secondly, if you're seeking to raise private finance, then this is definitely a route you should check out. It's perfectly feasible that a SAS holder may well invest in your projects. Thank you to those of you who participated and provided the questions throughout this episode. The conversation went quite a bit over time, so we've had to work hard to edit it down to a bite-sized chunk. Let me know if you enjoy the session and if you like the format. So let's listen in to learn some of the many facets of this exciting way for private property investors to protect their future and their family's future. Tonight came about because we were doing a mastermind the other day and there's a couple of questions about SAS that I don't know. I'm not a SAS expert, right? And there was just a discussion around some of the, I guess, the nuances. And we just thought, well, look, shall we maybe bring Paul in? And then I just popped a message as some of you were seen in the Facebook group and, and hence why there's one or two other people here. So I know there's some of you that have primed and you've sent me questions, but I'm hoping you're going to ask the questions rather than me regurgitating them. And we'll just try and get through as much as we can, Paul, just with questions and answers about SAS. So most of the people in here, not most, all of the people in here, Paul, have come from something to do with commercial. I'm not saying they're doing commercial, but th- that's the Facebook group and the masterminds to do with commercial properties. So everybody's got that in the back of their mind. But I know there's some questions here that will be relating to Resi and all the other Many lovely questions you get. <laughs> every day. Yeah, every day. Every day, yeah. Mate, Paul, maybe you could, um, it was a while since we did our podcast, maybe you could just quickly remind everybody what you do and, and, and maybe better as well, just say what you don't do as well. Is that fair? Yeah, absolutely. So, even folks, I know a number of you on the call, so apologies for boring some of you to tears because uh, I spoke to somebody very recently. Gary, I have your message, by the way, I'll get back to you later. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so principally what I am is a, a SaaS consultant. So I'm not a SaaS trustee. I'm not an administrator. I'm not a financial advisor. I basically am. Uh, my role is to help people understand SaaS, to educate them on it, to help them get to having a SaaS, to apply for SaaS, to use it when you have it, uh, and ultimately to try and make benefit from uh, all the great things that SaaS can do once you connect wading through the process of getting to it. So, um, but critically and, and really importantly here and tonight, I'm not looking to and never do give anyone specific advice and certainly not in a forum like this but i'm happy to talk about anything specific that i can't advise on obviously unless we we engage Uh, and yeah so i have years and years of experience working with sas i have a sas myself obviously Um, my first sas client i think was 1995 or something like this so long ago and so yeah i have a very very detailed working knowledge of sas and um, interestingly, Jeremy sent through some questions already. Some of them are obviously very um, particular, uh, very specific. I have not heard everything about all types of SAS, so um, I'm, I may well not answer everyone's questions, but I'm happy to have an educated uh, summary of, of all of them. So yeah, I'm, I'm happy just to have a chat and see what, what's what. I have a habit of talking an awful lot, so feel free just to shut me up and <laughs> butt in. So 
happy to answer anyone's questions. Thanks, thanks, Paul, and, and and thanks for putting out the small print straight away at the start there. Yeah, we, we all understand there's small print, no worries. Um, I, I just wanted maybe a show of hands for those that have got the screen on. I mean, who's actually got a SaaS right now, or at least, um, you know, some of you may even have property in it, but do, do most of you have a SaaS or a SIP set up? Can I just see hands? Yep, brilliant. And, and I assume because you're on the call, the others are, are looking and thinking about it and as a possibility for them. All right. Um, we've got hands. Are those hands up, Michelle and Darren? Are they to ask questions or are they just... Hey, no, we've got SASs, or we're looking at it. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so um, why don't we start with um, James? James, you had uh, uh, some questions that you sent in about five minutes before we came, <laughs> a couple of hours before we came on. I did forward them to Paul. So uh, maybe you could just um, reiterate those, and, and Paul, you might be able to bat those away if you need to or answer those that you can in depth. Yeah, maybe just... Uh pose the question and answer because there's quite a lot of detail on some of these. So the first question that James asked was regarding HMRC delays and the taking over of a going concern and back registration. Um, what I will say is that HMRC are massively delayed in all aspects relating to all aspects of SAS and tax and corporation tax, self-assessment, the whole nine yards. They are months and months behind, not least because they were furloughed themselves and were handling furlough for the rest of the nation. Um, working from home and all the rest of it, or, or so they say, um, but they, they are massively behind. So a SAS application, for example, now takes six months to get approval, uh, which is ridiculous, but that's just as long as it takes. And I know that's not your question, James, specifically in terms of that, but uh, whoever you knew had something done in two weeks, I don't know what they were doing to get that done in two weeks. Um, they, they maybe had a friend that worked in HMRC or something, but that is massively unusual to anything process that quickly. Not, nothing to do with SAS, of course. Um, so I'll, I'll take that question as answered. The next question was around, uh, actually, maybe James, do you want to ask that question about the, the leasing back of commercial space? It might be better if you did actually raise that yourself. Yeah, hi. Um, so basically, I'm going through the purchase of a five-story sort of rural office building. Three tenants take three of the floors, and my plan is to lease back uh, <laughs> two of the vacant floors back to a, a, an operating company of your own of my own yes yeah 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 which is absolutely doable and no issue that whatsoever and um, you so your company could for example take a head lease on the entire premises and the company could sublet that to uh, to the others and um, or you could just directly lease it uh, from your own company. You could also put a management contract in place on the whole building to, to manage facilities and charge a fee that way. There's loads of ways you can do that to make that commercially viable, but absolutely you can do it. There's no question that you can. Your trading company can occupy any premises owned by your SaaS as long as there's a commercial lease in place and as long as it is on commercial terms and not for a quid a year or something crazy. It's yeah. market rate. Absolutely. And, and market rate according to uh, RICSV are not me and you and your mate. Yeah, sadly. Um, what, what, what are the pros and cons of, of the lease to the trading company over the management um, agreement? Um, again, entirely down to your own personal circumstances in terms of what's going on the property, what the values of it are, what you intend to do, what, you know, what it's used for, who your tenants might be, what you might do with it. Um, my view of it is if you're looking to, to benefit additionally from the SAS, then having a management contract in place uh, to provide facilities management or maintenance or cleaning or, or even insurances or whatever else um, is a good way to extract some extra value from the SAS if that's what you want to do. That may not, of course, be your strategy and therefore, quite frankly, it wouldn't, it wouldn't really matter how you did it. Yeah, I want to leave as much, as much money in the, the pension as possible, really. Um, and, and I see the lease as being the, the best way because it obviously puts money out of the trading company into the pension as well. Absolutely. So, I mean, that, that, and I would always encourage any tax efficient contribution to the SAS, and that's just another way of doing it legitimately, 100% legitimately, obviously. So, um, absolutely, that's one simple way to do it. Um, so, yeah, entirely don't really what you prefer to do yourself. Um, your next question was interesting. Uh, just on just on that on that one point, though, Paul, a session that Jerry did previously with um, Michael Primrose. Do, 
or did I misread this point, Jerry? He he wasn't very confident with that that sort of leasing back to a I train. I think what company. he was what what he was not too confident on was how the valuer would see it. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> the, the thing to remember about that is it's shades of grey. Michael is not a surveyor. Um, he has got some experience of serviced offices, but not fully um, uh, a multi-let building experience. And I think that as you start out and you put in effectively that wall, it will not make much difference. But as you gain more scale, I most certainly think it would. And certainly when I've spoken to valuers about buildings that we have that are under management contract, if we put a lease in place, they would view the building differently. But that might be because we've got a bit more scale. Just another point, sorry, James, on what you'd mentioned earlier on. The other key reason, I mean, I should just pop out there. It, you're looking at the Propco Opco is also to mitigate risk. It's, it's like putting that, that operations company in. So it's dealing with the um, customers, the, the suppliers, all that stuff where there's possible liability to keep it away from any of your pot. Yeah, and also to, produce, to, to give me an option to produce cash flow from yeah. the outside of the SaaS. Yeah, for sure, yeah. Sorry, I interrupted your third no, no, no. question. So the building I'm buying, Paul, is actually, it's got a river running under it with um, a sluice gate that controls the, the flow. Um, okay. So I was looking to maybe capture that from a hydro perspective, generate energy for, at least for the, the, the floors that I lease back to, to my op, opco. Um, am I right in thinking that the SAS can't, sell energy out yeah i mean your question about generating energy or generating additional income with the sas is really the point and um, the specifics of a, a a sluice gate under a building is something i've never come across before but i find, <laughs> find it massively <laughs> they have an opportunity um but that that is the same as say having sore as you mentioned uh, on on the roof of the building a sas trustee would generally be very nervous of that because the sas would generally we seem to be trading there and they wouldn't be allowed to do that which is fine it kind of seems strange that it wouldn't because it to me it would seem like a return on the investment but it's, it's a trade outside of the activity of owning a building essentially so so it can't um hope so that answers your question on that yeah that's cool um, thanks your final question is about cryptocurrency and yeah. if i get asked this question once i get asked it a hundred billion times a week um it, <laughs> honest answer is i don't understand crypto i hear about it every minute of every day I get the general principle of it. I love the idea of it, but I have no idea what it bloody is. In reality, people go digging holes in the ground and find coins or something. I don't know what that means. However, the, the real issue with it, I do know what it is, I'm just joking, but the, the real issue with it is that is, is the, ability, the ability for a SaaS to value it. Because it, it's just as if you were looking to buy shares in a trading company or, or indeed a commercial property. It's how do you get a valuation on that? Because HMRC are quite rightly very keen to understand what the value of a purchase of an asset is on the way in and what it is on the way back out, because that's obviously where you're not paying tax in the SAS, uh, but they need to know what the value is actually where to validate you doing that or otherwise. So if you can't value or it's hard to value, and that is a kind of difficult question to answer that, is it, it's difficult. However, if that was um, trading or, or owning uh, crypto via a fund, for example, then that would be much, much more straightforward because the fund will have a value and you buy it at X price and sell it Y and take a gain. Uh, yeah. But I'm going to put a, a pending answer to that. I don't have an answer for you specifically on it other than valuing it is bloody difficult. Okay. So all good answers, I hope, but not <laughs> the one you wanted. <laughs> oh, that's fine, that's fine. Very unusual <laughs> question, so thanks for that, James. No worries. Kevin, you had your hand up about the solar point probably, yeah? Yeah, I've recently been doing the same thing. So we've just finished a development near where I live and we put a 50 kilowatt solar array on the roof and a, a 37K of batteries and it's working really, really well. The, the, the next building we're refurbing is in the pension and I asked the trustees, can we put solar on it? Because the ticket system costs about 40,000 quid and will generate seven to 8,000 pounds a year of income. So I was just going to do exactly the same thing on this other property. And the SAS trustee said, no, you can't, because solar is a removable asset. So, yeah, yeah. it might be 40,000 to install, but you take it off and it's not worth the beam. 
Yeah, so there's, two, there's two points there. You're right. So the, the, I think the key there is that if the SAS was being asked to pay for the installation, then it, it would be very nervous about doing that because it is a movable asset and isn't part of the fabric of the building. However, a SAS can refurbish a building, it can redevelop it, it just can't have an asset like that that could essentially, so if you end up in a finance agreement or whatever, it could be taken away um, or it could be stolen or whatever. So, yeah, you're, you're right. It, so that is a big issue for paying for it. But the fundamental thing is the SAS can't own the asset at all uh, or, or can't own the income generation of the asset. So from the solar, that then generated something that really surprised me from the SAS. This particular building has got a mezzanine installed that the previous tenant in, installed and paid for. The SAS wants me to take it out because it's not ours. And I've said, well, can we just leave it there and, and rent it out? No, you can't because it's removable. What did it install? So the, the mezzanine floor. So it's a industrial floor. Okay. But their, their argument was because it could be removed, then somebody else could benefit from removing it. And that's but it's free. So we're not paying for it. We're just going to charge more money to rent it. Yeah. And it went round and round and round. But um, yep. that was very odd that they're concerned about solar being a removable asset. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's strange, I guess the whole principle of, and it's, it's worthwhile just reminding yourself that the whole point of the, or the role of a trustee is to protect your SAS and ultimately to protect your value within it from a, um, I suppose, application of rules that HMRC may apply now or in retrospectively. And HMRC, as we all probably understand, are not, they're not a charity, they're not the little sisters of the poor who will talk you nicely and see if you can work something out. They will apply a rule and that's it. And then if you want to try and you know, sort it out afterwards, or like, you know the thing you want to sort it out, but they charge a fine and that's it. Um, so it's not it's not something you want to do lightly or fall through the rules lightly. And, and again, the whole point of trustees to protect you from that, as we all understand, but it's just worthwhile reminding ourselves of that. It's also worthwhile remembering that not all trustees apply the rules in the same way. And so it wouldn't surprise me if there's 25, 30 people on this call that half a dozen will have different answers because a trustee will have a different perspective of it. Not, not on obvious things, but on, on points where there are maybe nuances or, or particular things that, that are just not obvious. That, thanks, Paul. Kevin, yeah. do you mind if I just ask if you, in a lovely, sweet <laughs> summary, just give us a quick lowdown on what you've done with your SAS over the last few years? Um, I'll, I'll try and limit it to two minutes. Good. But it's probably the luckiest accident I've ever had. So a guy I worked for many years ago, Colin, just said I was having too much fun. You need a pension. So he set up a pension, took some money out of my salary, set up a pension. It was my own business. But that SAS just grew and grew and grew without any real care or thought. So my word of wisdom now is if you've got a SAS, treat it as a business, take it seriously. Because for the last eight years, we've been running our SAS as a business and it's working really, really well. But it started off with a relatively small amount of money and no real management for years. So this is 1986 it was set up. So probably the first 20 years, I didn't really concentrate on it. It was just parked the money. I didn't even get a letter each year saying what was in it. I just ignored it. But um, I started working on it consciously at 2002, 2003, and it's just worked brilliantly ever since. So what my word of wisdom is, Consider your SaaS a business if it's got commercial property and operate it that way, and it will work. Super. Thanks, Kevin. Okay. Terry, okay. do you mind yeah, if I Richard. just ask, make a point or ask yeah, a question, actually? Because sure. I was really interested in, in the, the green energy discussion, um, because it's something I mentioned in my book. And when I was researching it, I couldn't find any trustees that could really give me some good answers. I understand the whole tangible, intangible thing. But one of the things that may be possible, and, and I tried to get an answer on this, and no one give me, would give me an answer at the time. If, like Kevin, has got solar panels, uh, and I'm asking you, Paul, because maybe you've come across this, but if, like Kevin, you've got solar panels on the roof, an outside limited company could rent that roof space for having the solar panels on and return a rental to their SAS for renting that roof space, the money that's being generated by the solar energy, if the, the outside company, the limited company, as well as paying rental for the roof space, then sold the, uh, off uh, additional energy and made money from that, would that be okay? In my opinion, it is absolutely, Richard, because actually what I'm seeing about the company 
your own company taking a head lease, for example, on the whole premises or whatever premises may be, because you, you then control it. So if, if you want to put, you know, 30 people in it or one person or put someone on the roof or operate it as a, whatever you want to operate it as, then that's up to you because you, you have a right to use it the way you have because you've got a contract that says you can. And so that would be my simple way of doing that. And in actual fact, what you could do is if that was making any kind of profit, you could put the profit in the SaaS if you wanted to from the company. If you wanted to. Because um, it's trading profit, I guess, from a company that's set up for that purpose. So, yeah, that, that would be the simplest way of doing it. I think it's funny with the SaaS because we, by nature, and, and Kevin's absolutely right, if you treat the SaaS as a business, but you can sometimes go too far with it and try and make the SaaS do everything. But actual fact, if you look at the structure that sits around it, as in the companies that you have that, that sit beside it, then the combination of the two can be massively powerful. And I guess Kevin's probably had that experience directly himself by using the SaaS on that basis. But it's one of your businesses, it isn't the only one. And if you can have them working in tandem, it'd be a massively powerful way of doing it. So that, Richard, is a good point. And that would be a good way of doing exactly that uh, and doing it legitimately as well. Thanks, Paul. Um, if you don't mind, I'm just going to say, look, um, anybody in the audience who um, hasn't spent a lot of time looking at SAS and SIPs, there is no such thing as a stupid question. Um, we're all trying to learn here. So if anybody's got any questions they think are a bit more basic than James's when we launch straight into technicalities, <laughs> feel free to put your hand up. And I'm going to ask one if I may, Paul. Um, it's one that I, I do get asked, and sometimes I find myself um, scratching my head every now and then to uh, remind myself of a clear definition. But with a SaaS, one needs to have one's own company to sponsor it. And with a SIP, um, it's a slightly different structure. Now, I don't know whether you need a company to structure it, so I'm just going to ask you, could you maybe just quickly remind us what the differences are between the SIP and the SaaS? Yeah, so the fundamental, good question here, the fundamental uh, difference is that a SIP is a retail personal pension product. And in actual fact, what you're doing is purchasing access to a, a, a master trust. So, for example, if you were to apply to Aviva or Standard Life or any big provider of uh, AtSIP, for example, provider of SIPs, they have a SIP trust already set up and you apply to be a member of it. So essentially that is a commoditized access to an existing trust so you're buying a product really um, and, and that's a personal pension so there is no requirement to be involved in business or have a company supporting it because it's got nothing to do with anything to do with you or your business which is a purely pension personal pension drive um, process although a SIP does have the ability to buy commercial property that really is the only similarity between a SIP and a SAS so uh, by comparison though a SAS is an occupational pension type which means it's there to set up, or so it's been set up to support the pension contributions of a business owner. And therefore, it's connected to business, but the connection really confers no liability. It just allows the business to make contributions into it and or to borrow money back out of it. And so whilst they are linked to a business, there isn't really any negativity around that, but you do or must have a trading entity around it. And that entity can either be a limited liability partnership or a limited company or indeed actually a general partnership if it's in Scotland, but only in Scotland because it's regarded as a separate legal entity. Just an irrelevant point really, but it's, it's worth noting. Um, so they're very, very different. A SIP is an individual plan. A, a SAS allows up to 11 people to function inside the same space and to group value together. A SAS allows you to borrow money out of it to your company. It allows you to do so many other things, complete investment freedom. It allows you to put much, much higher contributions into it, for example, up to half a million pounds a year. Or a SIP's limited to 40 grand. They're very, very different animals. And it is, it kind of frustrates me a little bit. I hear people talking about it as if they're just the same thing. And they're absolutely not. But they are fundamentally both pensions and they do have similarities in terms of benefits and dry later on and things like that. But they are not the same in any way, shape, or form. Brilliant. Thanks for the for the clarity there, Paul. Um, I know that Fiona, John, you guys had questions. Just the floor is open. Anybody want to ask a question? Wendy's just popped something in the chat there. Can a SIP or SAS purchase a percentage of a property rather than the whole property? Yep, that is a great question. And yes, it can. Um, so I, I, sorry, I'll answer that for a SAS. I can't answer for a SIP specifically, but in terms of a SAS, a SAS can, it can become a tenant in common in a property. And that common ownership could be you or your own company or another any other entity. Um, so yes, a SAS can own part of a, a commercial property or a piece of land. 
Super. Um, John, are you getting ready there to ask a question? Uh, yes. Uh, hi, Paul. Um, just just a quick one on leverage within a SaaS. Um, not sure whether this is possible or not, but um, if I were to um, seek leverage, obviously, I, I think it's up to 50% of the SaaS value. Could I do a little bit of arbitrage in that? Could I um, use that 50% value to invest in, say, a crowdfunding platform uh, that's returning, say, 12% and the mortgage is costing me 5%. So, in effect, I'm gaining, say, 7% of, of that 50% loan. Uh, absolutely. Yep. Uh, and so uh, uh, there is no reason why you wouldn't because ultimately you can borrow money from the SaaS for any commercial reason that you wish. So naturally, if you see you had a, I don't know, a landscape gardening business and you wanted to buy two more ride-on mowers or take on more staff or buy another van or, or, or you know, set up a website and market the business, then you would, you're only doing that because you want to generate more value for the company. So in doing what you're proposing to do there, John, absolutely, you're generating value for the business and that is entirely up to you how you wish to do it. And again, that is not an uncommon route that people will inquire about because that will give you, I say a certain means, it will give you a means of measuring what value you might be getting from that process. And in that process, you have a 7% margin. And the gain that you make in there, again, you could put that back in the into the SaaS if you wanted to tax allowably. It's a great question. Uh, and it, it's actually relatively straightforward to do that. Alex, I'm sorry, I see your hand up. Kevin, I see your hand up. Darren had asked a question in the chat. I'm just going to jump to that if that's okay, because it was just an extension to Wendy's um, one earlier on. I don't know if you can see that, Paul, but just he's asking, does it matter if the other investment is coming from the sponsoring company, i.e. 40% from the SaaS and 60% from the sponsoring company? Uh, so a good question, Darren. No, it doesn't matter. Um, so the value can come from, or, or the ownership can come from anyone connected to each other, as long as it's been done with a, a proper RIC evaluation and it's clear uh, who owns what. How, and obviously it's, it's been uh, obviously contracted through a solicitor and it's been done commercially, so there is no issue with that whatsoever. Super. Thanks, Paul. Right, I see loads of questions in the chat, but I'm not going to be rude. I'm going to go over to Alex now. Alex, you had your hand up for ages. Thanks for waiting patiently. Do you want to ask, you. Your, ask away? Yeah, so probably a bit more basic, really, for me. Um, so listening to a lot of what people are saying, but I've not got a SaaS or anything else like that. I've got a, a fairly large workplace pension. And what I'm really wanting to try and find a way of doing, and I've heard a few possible ideas on here already, is accessing that pension, you know, transferring into a SaaS, um, and then using it to, to generate cash for me now, not necessarily all going back into the pension. So, so finding, you know, and I know I can sort of borrow half of it to, Get a property, and you know, could maybe get. But I need to lend that. I need to pay that back over a five-year time horizon. I think so. You know, that's not going to leave me any margin in between if I'm trying to borrow and kind of letting it out to a company or, or anything else like that. So, um, just kind of after a bit of advice, you know, how would you suggest going about that? Or is the SAS just simply not set up for that because it's all about protecting the money in the SAS and growing the pension? Yeah. So the whole point of a SAS, though, unlike any other pension type, is it does allow you to borrow funds from it, and it does allow you to engage those funds in any commercial process that you see appropriate inside of your business. And if that does make you money, and it should make you money because you borrowed the money to do it, then that's entirely what it's about. So if you're over age 55, you can access any pension you like, any time you like, for as much as you want to do it, if you're prepared to suffer tax or not on it. Under 55, you can't access any UK pension at all because you're not allowed to do it. Whereas with a SaaS, you can, you're not accessing the money, you're borrowing the money, and the SaaS and making an investment by being a loan to your business. If you choose to invest that, for example, uh, John suggested or, or asked about a crowdfunding platform, then why wouldn't you do that? And if that makes you 7% on the money, that belongs to your business. And if you want to pay yourself from that, crack on. I'm going to have to jump in here because we, we've got Fiona and Mark patiently waiting and a pile of questions piling up here. Fiona, Mark. Welcome to the party. Sorry for <laughs> letting you hang on there for so long. What's your question, guys? Yeah, so first of all, nice to see you, actually, Paul, <laughs> and not just have you on the end of the phone. Um, <laughs> my um, question links directly to what we've just been talking about. So one of the things, and Paul, you won't know this yet, um, and for, for others on the call to give a bit of context, we are um, fairly new SaaS owners. We've had it a few months now. Um, and we are hopefully just on the point of completing on our first purchase within the SaaS, um, which 
is a mixed use building and actually we're splitting title um, and taking the commercial part of the building in the SAS and we're buying the, the part which is currently residential in our limited company. And the plan for the bit that is currently residential will be to convert it into service accommodation and run that as a business. Um, now we were comfortable that obviously that's completely within SAS rules, but as a model, it's something we're interested in repeating. Um, and what we're looking at is um, buying hotels or existing guest houses within the SAS. And what we are interested in is if we do that model within the SAS, are we within the, within the classification from an HMRC perspective of that guest house B&B hotel type operation? Because what we would be doing is converting existing B&B or guest house or hotel rooms into self-contained serviced accommodation um, and running it as a cluster, if you like, of, of self-contained units. So in common parlance, I think that's that's an e-hotel type setup. Yeah. And obviously HMRC don't address that specifically. It's a fairly new concept. I, I know to err on the side of caution, you would probably say no, but, but I'm interested to hear your thoughts. Yeah, for the sake of this discussion, I'm going to say no. Uh, but no, I, well, I personally think that should be a yes, because ultimately you know, that is the model and that's what you're trying to achieve. And I think if you had a very, this is my opinion, of course, I'm not the trustee, as you, as you well know, but um, if you have a very clear business model that states that's what you're doing and you have a, a website and a, a commerce process and a booking facility that clearly reflects that, and the building itself has always been or has been a hotel for a number of years, then I don't see an issue with that. However, if you decide to turn your own house into that great idea, uh, and you know, that, that's a bit, really, it doesn't kind of make sense. I think the point is, if it makes sense and it's actually legitimate, then that's a good starting point. Uh, but if you're trying to be, and I know you're not, but if someone was trying to be you know, smart with it and a bit cute, then there's a big no in that. Um, I can just imagine that conversation we're going to have about that question with your trustees. <laughs> I, can't, <laughs> I can't wait to pose that to him. Uh, but, you know, I think the principle, that to me is a good, sensible proposition because the asset is commercial. Uh, oh, the, the risk is, and it comes down to this, would HMRC think you're going to live in it is the ultimate question. Uh, because you could. Uh, but... I'm not for a minute suggesting you would, but you could. And that's the point, really, that they, they are fearful of that and don't want people to enjoy the benefit of that tax-free status that, that wasn't meant to be that way. Um, what I would say to you is I would be very keen to put a very robust case to your trustee on that basis because I think that does work. Um, so I, I think maybe we should have a chat around that. We'll rifle through some of these that are on the, on the chat here. Um, because um, there's been a few popped up. Let's just have a look at some. So Stephen, who I know has just had to nip off, but he may well catch it later. What are the mechanics of moving an existing property into an as yet uncreated SAS? E.g., will it incur land and buildings tax or are there any other pitfalls he should be aware of? Yeah, that, that is a massive question. And in principle, a SAS can do that. There was a, an HMRC tribunal, I think it was last year or May last year, and actually essentially stopped that process from directly happening. It used to be you could essentially transfer or pledge an asset into the SAS and, and put the, the property in that way. It can still be done as long as there's cash in the business to facilitate it, but it's a bit of around the, the doors way. And I, I'm happy to have that chat with someone more directly because it's a complicated uh, process. And, but in principle, yes, you can do it. Um, if you own a property personally, you'd be potentially subject to capital gains tax, essentially disposing of it to, to a pension scheme. Um, there will be potentially LBTT um, because, again, there's a change of ownership, but it could be a linked transaction, so you might not pay it. There's a whole range of questions around that that are just a bit too complex to answer in this forum, but it can be done in principle, um, but it's not easy. And the simplest way, Paul, is the actual asset is owned by the sponsoring company. Um... It, well, it doesn't have to be, um, but it, you could own it personally or it could be your business with anyone else's, but yeah, it, it, you know, a family member or spouse or whatever. Okay. Um, Kyle has asked questions, which I think Richard has answered, but I'll just quickly read it out. 
Um, can you set up a SAS using a military pension? The pension is classed as non-contribution pension, so I'm not sure. Um, Kyle has his own business, but obviously he has this pension sitting over on the military side as well. Yeah, so I, I, maybe to answer that question in a bigger way, a, a SAS is able to accept the transfer of any pension into it, but it's entirely down to that existing scheme, whether it can be done or not. Uh, and Richard quite likely says a, a military pension invariably cannot, and most government pension schemes cannot be transferred over. Some local authority ones can, they're not directly civil service related schemes, but anything that is military, fire, police, teachers, even not all of them, it's someone very difficult to have them transferred over in general. However, it is always worth asking specifically of the existing provider if it is or is not the case. Um, so it's hard to give a, a complete definitive. Yeah, yeah. But military usually very difficult, but I've never had one done actually. So Richard's absolutely right. Okay. Um, Frank asked a question, Frank Kim asked a question, which will be related to something we were discussing earlier on, so I'm just trying to readjust my mind to what we were chatting about at the time, but they've just asked, would the security on the loan back um, between the, the, the SAS and uh, the party have to be commercial? Um, no, it can be anything actually. Now, this is, I don't know if I can of worms, I'm conscious not to get too far into this. Um, so if a SAS grants a loan to a company, it needs security from some source. It need not be from the borrower. It could be from you personally. It could be from someone else. It could be from anyone else. Um, but generally speaking, it would be probably something commercially linked to the business, but it doesn't have to be. So let's say I've got SAS with 100 grand and I borrow 50 grand out of it into the company. As long as I have got asset value to protect that, that is allowable and some trustees for example will allow you to use the value of the company itself uh, as in a pledge over the shares or a security over the shares of the company a charge of the shares i should say to do that others will not uh, but as long as there's an asset with a clear first charge unencumbered value and a title then the sas can take it now a big caveat on that is a sas cannot take that first charge over a residential property in scotland it can in the rest of the UK, it just can't do it in Scotland. That's nothing to do with the SAS and anything Scottish. It just happens to be that Scots receivership law doesn't allow it for whatever ridiculous reason. But you can't do it with a property in Scotland, but you can in the rest of the UK. Again, if your trustee allows it. And there is, of course, a very large can of worms attached to if yeah. you actually had to act on that security. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> the, the principle is... That, so a, a SAS could take a, 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 a first charge over a resi property, but the problem is if the, if the charge is called up, then by default, the SAS has taken ownership of a resi property and it can't do that. So there's all sorts of questions about putting security trustees in place and sort of breaking the, the process. Um, but again, in principle, can be done if your trustee is happy to do it, but not all are. It, it's such a massive question. I'm fearful of getting into... A, massive conversation about it and we've got a massive asterisk around it <laughs> yeah we'll speak to your professional trustee but i'm aware of all the aspects of it um but some people will have done it some trustees will have done it in scotland not realizing mm -hmm. you, you can't do it uh, with um scottish uh essentially insolvency law um but yeah it's, it's a can of bloody worms quite frankly um wendy can you have both the sip and the sas together at the same time Yep, absolutely. If you want one, uh, or if you want both, sorry, you can do that if you wish. Um, it, it could become an expensive process if you don't need to, and you probably ask yourself why you do need to, because a SAS can do everything a SIP can. Um, so, and you may not need the full extent of a SAS, so it really depends what, who you are in the process and what you're trying to do. The, again, just to kind of reiterate that, a SIP and a SAS are very different machines, but the only thing that they can do the same really is that both can own commercial property. Um, however, Owning commercial property inside of a SIP is usually more expensive because the SIP is FC regulated. The FC don't regard commercial property as a standard asset class. For what reason, I have yet to figure out, but they don't. So they will generally ask the trustees to put in more um, controls and, and, and measures to make sure the property is valued, insured, and managed, and various things that will generally increase the charge within a SIP. But SAS does not have that restriction usually. Um, so having a kind of a clear 
if you had a commercial property and say one of other and you've already paid the charge to set it up ongoing, a SAS will probably be lower cost than a SIP to have a commercial property inside of it, in my opinion and experience. Yeah. Thanks, Paul. I, just in the process, sorry, Jerry, I'm just in the process of doing it. And, and what they're saying is the SAS could take up to six months to set up, whereas I could have a SIP in 72 hours. No, absolutely. And, and because a, a SIP is just a product and a SAS is an entity. Um, it's worth waiting then. Well, it, it, yeah, I'd say it is, but again, it depends on your circumstances. But if you have a, an, an impending or immediate requirement to buy a property, then a SIP will definitely get you there quicker in the, in the context that it will exist quicker because it exists now, but a SAS doesn't. Well, I was just going to add on to that, Paulie. If it's going to take six months now, say it takes eight months come October, if you set up a SIP this year, you can also use the 40K allowance this year. Um, back sorry, backdated it from your SAS for, for next year, then so you won't lose that 40k, yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's one way of doing it. So, it's absolutely right, or you can bring carry forward into the equation, bring back previous years of unused relief, um, but also don't forget that SAS allows you to put in far higher contributions yeah. anyway, so that may not actually be that big a deal. Uh, but it's something to be in mind, it's a good point. Yeah. So we're going to come to John in a second. Thanks, James. It's going to come to John in a second. John, there's just a question and I want to just make it slightly larger too. Wendy's asked, who selects the trustees? Um, Paul, when, when you know you, you talk about social media and, and, and we all know your opinion on social media, right? But it's, it's funny the number of people on their profile have Amasas trustee. And, and for those that are on the outside looking in, um, it, it's difficult to sometimes establish what the terminology means. Yep. And, and we talk, we're kind of interchanging here between the individual who is a trustee of their SAS, and then yep. there's these other overlords that are also called trustees that look after us and guide us. You know, what constitutes a trustee? How many do you need? What, what's the score there, please? Okay, great question. So everyone who has a SAS is by default a member trustee of that SAS. So you are a trustee of the SAS. You do not have to appoint any other person to that SAS, and you could, you could be essentially your own practitioner of that SAS and run the SAS yourself. Um, you can get guidance on, on that to help you to do that if you wish. And that's your entirely your own choice. So if you have a SAS and are a member of it, you are a member trustee or the member trustee. A SAS does not have to have a minimum number of people in it. If there's one person in it, it is a SAS, uh, a, a SAS with more members has got slightly more flexibility, but that's not a massive big deal. Um, so the basic thing you'll have is yourself or yourselves as member trustees up to 11 of you. If you wish to use a SAS provider who is a trust, professional trustee and administrator, then they will generally be appointed as an additional professional trustee. So I often take the view that you could, for example, go and buy a, a brand new car and decide that you want to service it yourself if you think that's a good idea. Um, and, but you have to read a 5,000 page manual to do it and report back to your manufacturer twice a year that you've done it. But you can do that if you want to do it, or you can choose to have the service package that the dealers is given to you, it costs you 30 quid a year or whatever it costs you um, to do that. They then have the liability of doing it. You do not have the responsibility of doing that, but you have the input into the process of what goes on in, in the maintenance of the car. But you're not liable for it as much as if you're appointed a professional trustee, they are liable for giving you bad information and advice. And they, by kind of default and duty of their profession, have the ability to guide and protect your SAS and report it accordingly to the regulator and, and HMRC. Trustees are either professional or members. The member is you, professional is someone you appoint as an agent to look after your SAS for you. Underneath okay. that, as an administrator who essentially is the people who push the paper about actually doing the work to, to make the thing happen. So if you have a professional trustee, is that one of your 11 taken up? No. Okay. That's a great question. No, it isn't. So the professional trustee is really just like a letting agent looking after you and ASEO. Fab. Okay, great. Thanks for clearing that up. John? Um, yeah, just join quick, us? yeah, just, just a quick uh, point. You're just getting back on Wendy's question about whether you can have a SAS as well as a SIP. Um, so it was just really just to share my experience, I, I had a, a SIP for a number of years, transferred the majority of it into a SAS, but left some of it in the SIP because some of the funds or the individual shares were underperforming. So I just rather than take the hit by transferring them all across to the SAS, I'm keeping some within 
the SIP, if that makes sense. Yep, uh, quite a common thing to, uh, to do actually, John. People tend to do that um, just because it's a kind of historical thing and it's there for a particular reason. Um, and, and you absolutely can have as many of these as you like, but the key with all of that, of course, is that each of us has a lifetime allowance and the total combined value of our pensions, whatever that may be, is actually one combined value. So it doesn't matter where it is, uh, as long as you know what it is, basically, and why you've got it there. As long as you have a strategy, then that's absolutely fine. Another follow-up question, which I know you, you're, you're not greatly into social media, Paul, so you, but you probably missed this, but there's been a bit of chatter on some of the SAS forums on Facebook around GDCB and how that can potentially work. Yep. Um, to help grow and leverage the SaaS. Just wondering if you could share some thoughts on that for the group, please. It's essentially an entity that sits that SaaS can own part of. And I personally like that whole concept, but what I would say is if that's in the space of social media, it should not be there because it is a very specialist part of a specialist process of a specialist pension. And it's a dangerous thing to be banding that kind of stuff. I'm not suggesting you shouldn't be joined. It's a very, very good question. Um, I, however, I, I like those things. I think there's a, a place for it. It's for the right person who has had the right advice and has indemnified advice in using that process. And not every SAS trustee, or professional trustee, I should say, would be comfortable with that type of process. Um, it's a massive subject all on its own. Uh, there is a place for it, absolutely, if it's clear and understood and if you've had advice and guidance on how to use it and if it's signed off by your trustee. Um, but it's a big, big subject. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, John. Um, I think we need to be respectful of your time, Paul. And right. maybe if there's just a couple other questions, if anyone has any, then maybe just hit the wee hand button on the Zoom thing. I'm sorry, I can't actually tell you where it is, but you'll find it, I'm sure. Just while anybody, while we wait for anybody to ask more questions, most of you know me, most of you um, have been working with me about looking at commercial property, and that's why SAS is so close to, to many people's hearts here. But for those of you that don't really know me or don't really know what we do, just to say um, my background is investing in commercial. I started a resi, started then moving over to commercial when I was looking for better cash flow and I guess a bit more scale. Um, I was just finding it a bit frustrating with Resi not being able to get that scale. And I've been doing that for about 15, 16 years now. And a lot of the guys on the call here are, are going through the same thing. They've, they've bought residential, they've been good at doing residential and now want to start moving into commercial. And through our podcast, which hopefully most of you all know, um, the Commercial Property Investor Podcast, and through some of the programs we do, like Mastermind, a membership program to help people get into commercial faster than I did, because it took me 15, 16 years to get to where I am, and it can be done quicker. Um, have a look on our Facebook page, or I'm sure you'll have looked in the group, but there are um, a number of different things that we do for free. So there's quite a bit of um, content on the website. There are some blogs which are getting updated fairly regularly right now. There's obviously the podcast. And of course, if anyone's actually interested about getting a bit more serious about it, then just reach out and I can tell you about some of the other things we do. So has anyone got any other questions? About SAS and SIP? Oh, we might have wrung it dry. Wow, that's the first. <laughs> that's the first, yeah. <laughs> Um, lots of comments there. Thanking you, Paul, for your time. I really appreciate it too for coming in and helping out. Um, Paul, if anyone wants to get in touch with you, can you maybe just drop a, a quick link into the um, into the chat box yeah. for those that want to, knowing that they won't be able to find you anywhere on social media or any such nonsense. Yeah. Nowhere to be seen. Um, <laughs> I'm happy to answer anyone's questions. You know. Uh, at any point, really, and you know, happy to you know, on a call or a Zoom call, or a meeting, and a, a email, whatever. Um, the role that I fulfil is not a sales role, so I'm not punting SASs and you know trying to sell them up. I'm happy to provide SAS when people want them, but it's only when the time is right. So don't feel that there's any compulsion or kind of sales pressure to to, to sell or buy a SAS. It's not like that. Um, so feel free to you know, exchange information at any time. Happy to help. And some of our clients come back two, three, four years later. So. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, and it's worth pointing out, Paul, your, your role there is is to help facilitate people setting them up, is to guide them through that process. And then to use it when it is set up, 
uh, and I'm waiting for that more detailed chat with Fiona Mark about that e-hotel idea, which I can't wait to have. Uh, but yeah, absolutely. And that's I'm there to help guide that process. I don't have the sign off in the process, but I'm there to kind of commercialize that to try and bring yeah. it to life to bring to the trustees. You'll have to listen to podcast episode something or another about e-hotels <laughs> to give you a bit, <laughs> to fill you in. <laughs> Excellent. I will do that. Brilliant. John, you've got one last one. Yes, sorry. Um, just a quick one, Paul. For those of us who already have a SAS um, and, and it's not with um, uh, a trustee linked to yourself, do you offer any sort of service around sort of strategy for SAS trustee, personal SAS trustees? Yeah, I'm happy to have that chat with you initially and we can structure something around that. Um, it's £5,000 an hour, so you better be good, but <laughs> or something like that, that's more like a fiver. Um, yeah, absolutely. I won't have to have that chat with you. Um, see, my role is not to, to disturb what you have or to try and get you out of what you've got. I'm happy to help if you need to move it from that trustee or want to, a SAS can be moved. It's actually a good point. Bear in mind that the SAS structure belongs to you. It doesn't belong to the trustee. You've appointed them to look after it. And if you so wish, you can move it to another trustee or administrator or even not or even disband them at all. So um, it's, it's totally flexible up to you what you do with it. Yes, have a chat with John anything. Yep. Cheers. Thanks. Great. Thanks. Um, it's been super to see you all. Thank you all so much for joining us and asking so many questions. It's been really good. I've learned right. lots. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, guys. All the best. Cheers. Well, there you go then. Plenty of things to be excited about in that conversation, but equally, plenty of questions too, no doubt. It is a fascinating topic, and many of our students are using SAS pensions to finance their commercial property activities. Commercial property isn't the only way you can invest your SAS funds, of course, but that's our bias here on the show, right? It goes without saying, don't rush out there and go all SAS straight after this episode without taking the correct professional advice. Small print here. This was a general conversation, but you will need to seek advice that is pertinent and specific to you. If you want to get in touch with Paul, his details are in the show notes. And of course, if you want to take advantage of commercial property through your SaaS, then please get in touch with us and see how we can help you do just that. Thank you for listening in. If you want to reach out, then just look for me on Instagram under username cherryalexander.commercial and send me a message. Have a fantastic week in commercial. The most important thing is not how long you've put it off, but to get started in commercial property right now.